Most of you will know that, that Mark isn't here, but he's gone down to pick up his son, who had a, an accident down in Switzerland. So he drove nearly 700 miles to, uh, to, to, to bring him back, and he's in the process of bringing him back. Bit like he can only travel two and a half hours, so even Mark can't drive the whole way in two and a half hours, so it's going to take four days. <laughs> Not that he drives fast. But I was really struck by that response of Mark going to fetch his son. It, it was quite emotional. I found it quite emotional, actually. It touched, touched me because it, it reflected something of the father heart of God. You know, we as humans can reflect God and what it's like to other people. And that really, really struck me how, how, how Mark, as the father, went and drove. I can't imagine 700 miles. I used to drive to Exeter quite regularly for work, and I had driven from Exeter back in one go, which was a bit naughty, but, um, you, you know, that's 200 miles, you know, to drive three and a half times that, I just I think, wow, that's, that's a real demonstration of love, and I think it was received as love by Matt, wasn't he? He was quite touched. So, yeah, so it got me to thinking, I was going to speak about something else, but it got me to thinking about the father, and about the father heart, and how the father... Um, reaches out to us, and the classic story, which we all know, of, of, the, of the prodigal son and the father. And, and I'll just briefly tell it, but I, I just want to use it as a, as a kickoff and, a, and a, a place to begin. But we all know about the, the prodigal, son, prodigal father had two sons. Um, the younger one came to him and said, basically, I've had enough of you. Give me the money that's owed me. And I'm off. So, and that's what he did. And uh, apparently, he would be given a third because the older son would have two thirds. He would have had a third. So, a third of all the property, off he goes, squanders the money on loose living, parties, all that kind of thing. And, and that's what he's doing. But I was, I was struck, and I've always been struck by the father. You know, I like to imagine that every day he would be looking across the horizon. When I used to tell this as an assembly in school, I used to say that it was like a, um, a tower. I went up a tower, so I would do that. You know, every day he went up the tower, as I was telling the story, you know, just to kind of fill a bit of time. He goes up the tower, he gets to the top of the tower, and he looks, and there's nothing. So he comes down. But every day there's an expectancy in his heart. Every day he's looking for that son. Because although the son... In, in that culture was very, was, was, you know, he basically cut himself off. It was rude. It was disrespectful. It was totally against the father. He's still looking for him to return on tippy toes. You know, I don't know if you've seen the new Sing movie, Sing 2, but there's a song there called Tippy Toes, Tippy Toes. None of you have seen it because none of you have got grandchildren. <laughs> but it's quite funny. We, we, we laugh at it. But he's on tiptoes, looking, expecting hoping, yearning, longing for this son. Because even though he's taken the money and gone, he wants him, he wants him back because it's about relationship. It's not about um, telling them off or that kind of thing. And we know that the son eventually comes to the end of his money. Money always runs out, have you noticed? No matter how much you've got, you think you've got quite a lot stashed away and then all of a sudden it's gone. How, how did that happen? Did someone else have access to it or something? Or, oh, yes. My, no, no, I won't go there. 
No, it doesn't happen. Like I'm more the spender in our house. So it goes, doesn't it? It got to the end of his resources. At the same time, there was a famine in the land. He came to the end of himself. He came to, he came to, he said he came to his senses. He came to the end of himself. And for those of us who have children that are away from God, that are doing their own thing in the land of wherever they are, that's what we pray for them, isn't it? That they'll come to the end of themselves. That they'll come to the end of their resources. That they'll come to the end of their stupidity and realize, uh, you know. And he realized, hey, it was much better for me back at my father's house, that house that I hated and wanted to get away from. Even the servants have food and more than enough. You know, they didn't have a little square in the top of their communion thing. You know, I don't quite know what's happened to that communion wafer, but, you know. <laughs> Talk about a square meal. <laughs> and it was very sharp. I thought you could, you could injure yourself on that little square, couldn't you? Anyway, putting that aside, I'm sure they know what they're doing there at the um, distributors. Um, yeah, so uh, even the servants have more than enough to eat. So I, I, what I'll do, I'll go back to him and he's, he's kind of getting his confession and his kind of story as he's, as he's going. You know, it's probably not the, the, the nicest of... Um, Trips back, is it? You know, every step is a trot. Is a trot. He doesn't walk with alacrity. I love that word, alacrity. I once heard it on a, on a cricket commentary, you know, that the field moved with alacrity. And I thought, oh, I wonder what that means. So he didn't move with alacrity, which means, you know, vigor and verve and speed. He was trudging back. And all the time he's thinking, I'm going to say to him, Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I understand that. And I understand your cross with me. I understand. I've really let you down. I really understand that, you know, that's, I don't deserve to be your son. I don't deserve anything. But make me one of your servants. Make me a servant in your house. And I'll serve you the rest of my days. Um, and so, uh, in the meantime, we've got the father keep going up his tower every day. I don't know how many stories. Quite a lot of stories in this tower till he got to the top looking out again until one morning he sees a figure right there beyond those flats. Wow, there's a figure. There's someone coming. Could it be? Could it possibly be? A bit like Joseph. Could it be? Could it be? Could it possibly be? Do you know what I'm talking about? That song in Joseph? No, you don't. Sorry. <laughs> Do you guys get out at all? <laughs> no, it's an old, old thing, isn't it? But, you know, it's about Barnabas, isn't it? Could it, be, could it possibly be? Could be Benjamin, sorry. But he realized it is. It is. And so he did something very um, against the culture again of his day. He hitched up his robes and he ran down the tower. <laughs> and he ran across the field. Oh dear, I'm a bit dizzy now. Sorry. <laughs> ran across the field and he hugged. His son and his son say, Father, I've sinned against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your, your son. But he, he just, he says he fell on his neck. That's a funny phrase, isn't it? The New King James Version. He fell on his neck. He must have been on a big height to fall on his neck. But, you know, it means he hugged him, doesn't it, really? Um, he hugged him and, he, and he's saying, and he's shouting to the servants, 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 bring the best robe. That was probably his robe, but it was a celebration robe. It was a festival. Bring the best robe. He said, bring a ring for his finger. And the ring was the sign of authority. It was a sign of being part of the family. It was a, it was a seal whereby he could do the family business, um, make payments, whatever, buy things. 
that kind of thing, and put sandals on his feet. You know, sandals on the feet. The slaves went barefoot, but the sons, the daughters, wore sandals. And he's restoring him to his family. He's saying, whatever you did, I forgive you. I'm restoring you to my family. I'm not having you back as a slave. I'm having you back as a son. Because you're my son. You never stop being my son. That's one of the things uh, for my son when he was struggling, you know, and we were talking about forgiveness and things, and we were talking about fatherhood. And I said to him, when did you stop being my son? And he, he kind of said, oh, but that's not the same. And then he realized it was the same that God was still his father. No matter what he'd done, God was still his father. So that's, that's an important thing to learn. So he welcomes him back and they kill the fatted calf and they have a party. He said, we need to celebrate because his son, who was dead, is now alive. Who was lost, is now found. Have a great party. All is good. End of sermon. Let's go home. <laughs> but it wasn't the end of the story, was it? Because there was an elder brother involved, wasn't there? And Joyce preached this, actually, didn't she? Just before Christmas, I think. She preached on, probably, I don't know, it was October time. And she, she was very good on this. So if you want to hear it done properly, go back and listen to what she said. But um, I just, the older brother wasn't happy. Uh, Leo, my grandson, and I watched this film. Um, it's, a, it's a Christian film. I think it's called The Star. I don't, you might have seen it. And it's quite funny, we laugh at this bit, because it says, the narrator says, uh, so-and-so was not happy. And it cuts to the guy and he goes, I'm not happy. <laughs> and it's a bit like that now, isn't it? The elder brother was not happy. I'm not happy. He's not happy, because he's been there all this time. He's done nothing wrong. He's always served his father. He's not taken anything that doesn't belong to him. He's always been doing what he should be doing. And some of us can feel sympathy for him, can't we? Um, I remember my mum, when I was quite young, I remember my mum saying to the, the vicar or someone who preached on this, you know, that she felt a real sympathy for the elder brother. And I think we do feel a sympathy for the elder brother, even though we're not supposed to. Really, are we? We know he's a naughty boy. So we're not to, but we do feel a little bit sympathetic for him because he's always been there. He's always been doing the right thing. But the issue is, like Joyce brought out very well before Christmas, his heart was miles away as well. The younger brother was in a foreign country, but the elder brother was in a foreign country. He was in the father's house, always doing what was right. Um, you know, but his gripe was, you never gave me even a little kid to have uh, a party with my friends, but this son of yours, which spent your money on prostitutes, and all that horrible kind of thing, you probably really reveled in kind of working out what I'd been doing with it. That, that horrible son that let you down, you've killed the fatted calf for him. And so basically, I, he, basically I'm, not, I'm not coming into your party. I'm going to be outside. But it's interesting, you know, the, the father sought out the younger brother. But the father also, also sought out the elder brother. Didn't he? he went out to him and said, son, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours. 
You could have had a party with your friends, but you were just too legalistic. You were just doing the right thing, you know, just getting by. Not really loving me, but you were just doing your duty. And really your heart wasn't in the right place either. And he invites him, come, come in, come and sit at the table with us and celebrate. We must celebrate because your brother who was lost is now found, who is dead is now alive. We must celebrate. Come and celebrate, but he won't. Off he goes because he can't get over the fact that although he's done his duty and being a good religious son, someone's come back who's not been that, but has been welcomed by the father. And it does sound a little bit kind of, does sound a bit hard on that elder brother, doesn't it? But the elder brother could have had all that. He could have had all that, couldn't he? He was always with the father. He could have shared what he was doing. He could have shared his heart. He was with the father. It was about his father's business. And it reminded me of another story. This isn't a, a parable story. This, the, the first one was a parable that Jesus told. This is a, this is a happening if you like. This is something that, that actually happened with Jesus. And Jesus um, was invited to go to the home of a Pharisee. Okay? Now you're all very quiet. You should go, a Pharisee. We don't like the Pharisees. Yeah? You can do that if you like. You don't have to be quiet. Anyway, so he went to the home of a Pharisee. Called Simon. That becomes clear later on. And so, you know, what struck me was that Jesus goes to this, this guy's house for dinner. You know, Jesus, who's got three years to get his father's work done. He can't, you know, if you've got three years to do a big test like you here, you don't waste time on, on things that aren't, you know, important, if you like. So he went to the home of, of, uh, of Simon's, the Pharisees. And... Um, one of the things that I didn't realize is that in those days, when you had that kind of dinner, um, it was a celebration, it was in honor of Jesus. When you had that kind of dinner, the kind of the hoi polloi could come in and watch. You know, it wasn't like a private, like we have someone around for dinner. We don't have the neighbors sitting, you know, against the wall, look, look, watching what's going on, listening to the conversation, do we? Well, we don't in our house anyway. You might in yours. Seems a bit weird, doesn't it? But that's the kind of thing that could happen. So there was kind of things going on. But this lady came in, who it says was a sinner, who was a prostitute. And she came up to Jesus. And, you know, it's a bit different because they don't sit on dining chairs like we do. And, you know, because you can't imagine this story happening if we were sitting on dining chairs. Because that would be really, bit, bit, really it would be like the dog under the table kind of licking your feet or something. But, you know, because they're lying down and their feet are kind of behind them and they're resting and eating. She came down and she began to wet Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She was kissing his feet. Now, feet in those days, I've said this before, I'll say it again. You know, they were walking through camel dung and all sorts of stuff, weren't they? You know, unless someone had washed their feet. And actually, we're finding his feet weren't washed when he came in. She was kissing his feet and she was anointing them with this alabaster jar of perfume which she brought. And I probably do need to look in my notes now because um, that's something I want to say. It's in a pretty extravagant act of worship that this lady performed 
on Jesus, isn't it? I haven't seen anyone quite so extravagant this morning. You know, obviously it's different because Jesus wasn't here in the physical sense. But a real act. And actually, when we're in those situations where that kind of thing happens, sometimes it's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? Someone gets very emotional and, and extravagant, and we can all get a bit, ooh, ooh, what's going on here? We don't normally do that in our liturgy. We don't normally have that much emotion going on. I don't know if I can cope with emotion, being English and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, and Simon had a bit of an issue. His issue was, this is a prostitute. This is a woman of ill repute. This is a woman, a sinner. I shouldn't be touching her. She shouldn't be touching Jesus. So he said to himself, if this were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was who is touching him. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this was that's touching him. So Jesus said to Simon, Simon, I've got something to say to you. I don't know if Simon knew what was coming, but you know, oh, okay, Jesus, yeah, I'm ready. You can say something to me. I'm ready for it. Hopefully, it's a prophetic word for my future, or you know, it's a prophetic thing about all the all the blessing I'm going to come into, or whatever. I don't know what he thought anyway. So he said, Simon, there were two people, two debtors. There was a let's put it another way around. There was a man who had two debtors. One owed him 50 denarii. Another owed him 500 denarii. So it's basically 10% and 90%, isn't it? Whatever. Which one? Okay, sorry, I'm not telling this very well. One owed 50, one owed 500. And the banker realized that neither could repay him. And both should have been thrown in prison, debtor's prison. But in his kindness, he forgave them both. So the guy that owed 50, the guy that owed 500, were both forgiven. Simon, which one of those two do you think would love him more? So Simon said, well, I suppose. I suppose it's the one that owed him more. And Jesus said, you're right. It is that one. And he said, do you see this woman? When I came in, you gave me no water for my feet. You didn't wash my feet, which was the custom of the day. That's what you should have done. She washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. And again, that's customary. A kiss of greeting. She has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Simon's treatment of Jesus was pretty poor, don't you think? He gave a dinner in his honor, and then he didn't do all the common courtesies. You know, I mean, it's hard for us to imagine because we don't, you know, we don't do that, do we? So you, we had a little party, and I didn't wash people's feet when they came in. I just kind of took their coat and say, put them on there. You know, thank you for coming. I didn't, you know, anoint their hair with oil. That'd be a bit weird. We go, oh, I've just washed my hair this morning. Get, get off with you. <laughs> what are you doing to me? 
you know, and um, so we, we, we're not used to that. But that was the common courtesies in those. It'd be, you know, be very, if someone came from my house for dinner and I just didn't acknowledge them and they just said, oh, sit there, and, um, you know, didn't really respect them, that would be no good. So that's, that's Simon. You know, religion, which is Simon. Let me say, can I say religion? Can I say superficial, without heart? The Pharisee, you know, that kind of uh, legalistic thing. It doesn't treat Jesus very well. The prodigal son didn't treat his father very well. It's that religion, isn't it? Just doing enough. I, I, I went to Faith Life this morning. I, I, did, I sung a couple of songs. That's probably enough for this week. Jesus, you'll be happy with me now. You just missed the point. It's not about that, is it? And Jesus said, because her many sins have been forgiven, she has loved much, but he who has been forgiven little, loves little. That's the Brian standard. I'm going to read it in a couple of versions, because I think sometimes some of your versions have it, and it looks the wrong way around. It looks like she was forgiven much because she loved much. But it actually, if you look in the context, it's she loved much because she was forgiven much. The Christian standard says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. And then in the Passion. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But they who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. And the notes on this is, is really nice, actually. I, I like some of the Passion. Some of the notes in the Passion Translation are, are quite helpful. It says, Simon thought Jesus should have known the sinfulness of the woman. And he probably did. But Simon should have known the love of the one next to him who was ready to forgive and restore. He said, religion focuses on the sinfulness of a person, but faith sees the glory of the one who forgives and heals. What do I focus on? What do I focus on? What do I, what, are, what do I see when I see the people around me? Do I see their sinfulness? Or do I see the love of the, the Father wants to forgive them? If the Father and the Son choose to forgive and restore and set free, who am I to be criticizing and saying they're wrong? At the end of the day, the standards aren't set by Roger Bostock. Are they? They're set, set by the Father in heaven. And what he says is what goes. Good job. Because you'd be all in a muddle. Let me tell you, if I was in charge... And we'd all be the same, wouldn't we? Because we, we make very good little petty furors, don't we? Both the prodigal and the Pharisee thought they were doing what the Father wanted, what Jesus wanted. But they were full of self-righteousness, self-effort, self-importance, pride, Judging others, particularly those who respond from the heart, who are extravagant in their worship, who have been forgiven much. 
You know, all of us were like the prodigal. All of us were like the prodigal, weren't we? All of us. Because I've been thinking about this all week, really. And I was talking to a friend of mine. I was on a prayer walk on Thursday morning. I was saying, I've been fighting. I've been fighting this word all, all week. And so he prayed for me. Lord, I just pray that Roger would be able to get this word straight. I'm saying, no, it's not the word I need to get straight. It's me I need to get straight. I need to get straight with the word. Not, okay, I might have it a bit out of kilter. I've been welcomed home by the Father. I've been forgiven many sins. And I need to rejoice when God does the same for others. Because I've realized it's easy to think like Simon. It's easy to think that we didn't have that many sins. We didn't have that many sins. And the ones I did have, I've kind of straightened out. I've, I've kind of worked them through and I've, you know, I've kind of paid, paid the penance of um, putting them straight. So, so Jesus, you'll be fine. I, I don't need much forgiveness. I'm fine. I, I've sorted it out myself. Thank you very much. But, you know, just one sin, just one sin is enough for us to, look, to not meet the standard and to be thrown out into hell. Just one. Now, has anyone committed just one sin? Yeah. Or have we committed a lot more? <laughs> Did you get the thrust of my question? My question is, none of us have committed one sin, have we? We've probably done more than that this morning, let alone in our lives. Not that we want to, and I don't belittle it, but there's a sense we can think, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Now, so-and-so is a sinner. They've lived a terrible life. You know, I saw them speeding even this morning, or whatever. But we have to recognize the word that says, our sins are many. Our sins are many, but they've all been forgiven. They've all been forgiven. Our sins, though many, have been forgiven. Therefore, what should our response be? What do you think our response should be? Well, I'll leave you to think about that. There's no problem in having committed many, many sins. Because Jesus can forgive. He can snatch them away. He can bury them. We used to sing a song when I was a, a wee lad, 15 or whatever. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Buried in the deepest sea. Da, 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 da. Oh, no, that was wrong. Buried in the deepest sea. Yes, that's good enough for me. I shall live eternally. Praise God. My sins are gone. And that's true. We just have to learn, we need to recognize and acknowledge that we were great sinners, that we deserved hell, that we deserved eternal damnation, that we weren't all right, that we couldn't stand in the presence of Almighty God, but that doesn't matter if we come to him and confess them and receive his forgiveness. And then we can be those who love much. We can be those who don't live by little standards of I'll sing a couple of songs and then I'll be fine. I'll give 20p and I'll be fine. Or whatever it is. I'm just using silly little examples. 
just to make the point. I just wanted to read from Psalm 103, if, if you, because I haven't really read any scripture yet, have I? Or I might have quoted it a bit, but I am talking from the script. But Psalm 103, because um, I have to confess, I battle to recognize that I have many, many sins. Even though I know I have many, many sins, I still battle to recognize that. Yeah, I still battle to recognize, not that I have them, but that I had them, that they, they're gone. See what, do you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to say to you, I was that Pharisee. I can still be that Pharisee. I can still be that elder brother. And I need to recognize um, that and get rid of it. Yeah, and get him to get rid of it. But this, if we have many, many sins, this is, this is one. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. There's no problem with us having lots of sins. We need to acknowledge them, repent of them, get them to take them, and then be free and be able to be like the lady and be extravagant in our worship. That we, we do wet his uh, feet with our tears in a, in, in, you know, in a metaphorical sense. We do dry them with our hair. You know, the hair of the ladies was, was you know, their pride. I, I know they should have had it, she should have had it covered, but she wasn't married. She was a prostitute. But she's using her pride and glory to wipe Jesus' feet. There's a humility, isn't there? about acknowledging there's a humility when we come to worship him we humble ourselves and we 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 kiss his feet and we we pour the, the, the you know what i'm saying you have to kind of take that as a, as a metaphor but what, what what i've been trying to say to you is we have all been forgiven of many many sins we can't say that we just had a little we can't say we only have to love it love a little We've been forgiven so much, and it's recognizing that and humbling ourselves to acknowledge that, that we can. Um... So of the characters in the story, I've told you two stories. Two stories, there's four characters. Oh, maybe five, actually. There's uh, the prodigal son. Okay. We all need to be like the prodigal son and come back from where we've been, if that's where we are. And there's times, even when we've come back, that we wander off again, don't we? You know, we go in our own way. We need to come back to the Father. Okay, so there's a prodigal son. There's the elder brother. And as I've intimated a few times, I find the elder brother can live within. And I need to let God deal with that and get rid of that. Because that's horrible. That's terrible. And that does me no favors, really. Um, so Lord deliver me from being like the, the, the elder brother criticizing others and, and living you know we, we live that religious life that's just enough I, I get by with just enough to uh, t yeah to get by the, the thing that struck me about the prodigal brother was that he was unable to accept the father's love. 
If he'd really understood the Father's love for him. That the Father wanted him to be, if you like, in fellowship, in friendship. He wanted to be in partnership with him. He wanted what they were doing. He didn't just want the prodigal son, uh, sorry, the prodigal son brother out in the, in the, in the vineyard, getting the grapes, uh, looking after the cows, doing this, doing that. Doing the he wanted there to be a friendship. He didn't want him to be earning his love, earning you know, his keep, earning any of that. He was a son. He was part of the family. And the father wanted him to recognize that. And then, from that place, they could start to work together. And that's the same with us, isn't it? The Father wants us to, to know that we're sons, that we're called as sons, that we're loved as sons, male or female sons. And then we work together. We work with the Father. Like Jesus. Jesus served, but he served as a son. A son serving the Father. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be sons who serve. Not slave servants who try and earn the Father's favor, who try and be good enough. You'll never be good enough. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a desperate route that you're on, particularly because you just have to turn to the Father. You just have to sit at his table and allow him to show you that you are sons and show you the amazing things that he would like to do together with you. What he would like you to be doing. You know, far much more than you can do on your own. Far much more than petty little lives that are lived in legalism and live just to get by. Are, are you getting some of the, what I'm saying to you? So, so for me to live as a prodigal, for me to, to be like a, sorry, the prodigal brother, is, is just a travesty. There's so much more that the father wants for my life than being an older brother and judging others because of what they did or... It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. You let so-and-so, you gave so-and-so, you gave Jules a car. I mean, that's not fair. I'd love a car. That's, that's, God treats, he loves us all. And there's times when he gives somebody a car, and there's times when he does something for you, and we just, we just need to learn to be grateful and, and rejoice together. Amen, Jules got a car, that's great. She doesn't have to get stuck in Soham all the time. She can come out and about in her travels. And that's wonderful. And God will do the same for you, won't you? Because that's the kind of father he is. But he won't always be uh, honoring you. He won't always be looking at you. He won't always be promoting you. And we need to be glad when he does that to others as well. And that's a, that's a hard lesson for a prodigal's brother. Because you just want the attention, don't we? You just want it to be about me and, and my things. And why aren't you honoring me, Lord? Why aren't you promoting me? It's not fair. You know, you didn't give me a little goat to celebrate with my friends, but you gave him a fatted calf. But Roger, you've been with me. You can be with me. You can come into my presence anytime. You can be with me. We can work wonderful things together. And that's his heart for me, isn't it? And the Pharisee is a bit the same, isn't he? The Pharisee was... Covering up his sin, trying to be good, trying to be right. He could have been so different. Jesus went to his house to save him, didn't he? Jesus went, he didn't write him off, didn't say you're a Pharisee, boo. He went to his house to save him, to show him a different way. 
that you can't, Pharisee as you are, you can't please God by your keeping your rules and keeping your good, good works. It's about accepting Jesus. And it's about doing things his way. And the difficulty of the legalistic religious life is we're never happy. We're never happy because we're never good enough. And we're always jealous of everybody else. We're always critical of everybody else. And it's not good, is it? And Jesus said, come unto me. You are heavy laden. You are heavy laden trying to keep all the rules. Trying to do all the right things. Take my yoke upon you. And you'll find rest for your souls. That doesn't mean you won't do anything for the rest of your life. But there'll be a rest. So you don't have to keep trying to please a God. I was struck by the parable of the talents. You know, the, the, the one that was given one talent said, um, I knew you were a hard taskmaster. I knew you reap where you didn't sow. And it's, it's almost like because that was his belief about uh, the master, about God, that's how he lived, that's the kind of... And that's not the kind of life that we to be leading. God isn't like that. God is not a hard taskmaster. His standards are very high. His standards are impossible for humans to keep. But he sent Jesus to die in our place and to live in us. He sent the Holy Spirit to live through us so that if we live by the Spirit we'll, and put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will fulfill the righteousness that he desires for us. So his standards are high in one sense, but he sent Jesus to enable us to live those standards. He's such a good God, isn't he? He's such a good God. And we need to get us, put aside all these thoughts that he's hard and it's difficult. And it's, because it is hard until we submit to him and allow him to do it in us, to do it his way. You know, he, he, he showed us the prodigal son that had wasted everything and squandered everything. He was able to come back and be restored to the father. The lady who was a prostitute, who did everything wrong, Jesus forgave her. And she was completely forgiven. She didn't have to then think, well, I'm forgiven, but I, I'm going to have to live with the consequences the rest of my life. I'm going to have to... No, she, she was free, wasn't she? And that's what God wants to, to do in our lives. He wants us to recognize that we were lost, but now we're found. We were sinful, but all our sins have been forgiven. Therefore, we can live a life of love. We can live a life of worship. We can live a life of honoring Jesus. We can live a life not bound by rules, where people around us are full of rules. We don't have to live that way. We can be extravagant. We can wash the feet of Jesus with our tears. We can dry them with our hair. I'd struggle a little bit, but um, I haven't got very long hair. But, you know, we can do all those things because he has done so much in our lives. And I just was, was thinking that um, in looking at the story, we, we can see what, we, what, what we'd like to be like, coming back to the Father, um, recognizing that our many sins have been forgiven. We don't want to be like the, the prodigal brother. We don't want to be like the Pharisee. Um, but ultimately, God wants us to be like the Father. He wants us to be about the Father's business. He wants us to be up that tower looking into the distance to see 
his sons, his daughters returning. He wants to be part, us to be part of their return. Not as a legalistic thing, but as a part of a, a joyful thing. We were on the street yesterday and, and Connie and Maggie talked to, to two youngsters who were kind of involved in satanic stuff, I think. But they had a really good conversation and they sowed some seeds. It's such a joy, isn't it, Connie? It's such a joy to be able to talk to some teenagers and, and, and offer them a different way. It's such a joy to be about the Father's business. I thought that was what I was going to talk about, and maybe next time. But Jesus was always about his Father's business. And that's what we're called into, to be about our Father's business. And the amazing thing is that, that he is with us, he does it with us, he provides what we need, he provides the people around us to help us. But it's such a different life than a life seeking to please him through rules, regulations, um, all that kind of thing. So, I'd like you to, I'd like to give you some moments. I think, Joe, you're going to come and play. I'd like you to take some moments just to think on what I've said. If there's anything there that I've said that, that has, has resonated, I'd like you to just let it, just, what is your response to what I've been saying? Is what I'm saying. What is your, I'm not going to tell you what to do, how to do it. What is your response? What is your response to the amazing love of the Father who welcomed you back when you were far off, when you'd got to the end of yourself? What is your response to the Father who forgave you all your sins? What is the response? What is your response to others around you who maybe being extravagant in their praise. Maybe they're living lives that aren't right. What is your response? Are you willing to be part of the Father's rescue plan for them? So, shall we stand? Please respond as you feel. If you want to come to the front and be prayed for, that's great. If you want to go to the prayer banner and be prayed for. But please, if... If there's no response from what I've said, I've wasted my time. Okay, and I don't want to waste time. I want you to make a response in your heart that makes a difference to you from now on in. So Holy Spirit, help us respond now. Where the word has come to us, really reinforce it. Help us to respond and change. In Jesus' name.